you guys know, I found, I, we were talking about this at staff meeting. Did you know that our church turns 125 this year? 125 years old. On the West Coast, that's pretty rare. There's some old churches on the East Coast. But the, the average lifespan of most churches is 70 years. And so for our church to be alive and kicking at 125, that's, that's God's grace, right? I mean, we, so we praise God for that. And at staff, we've been looking back a lot at our church history, specifically here at Cedar Home. And over the course of Cedar Home's history, there have been a number of pivotal moments when our church has come to a fork in the road and has had to answer, what kind of church do we want to be? Um, which direction do we want to go? And if you read the history of our church, you'll see that whenever our church has come to those pivotal moments, we have almost always decided we want to be a church that reaches our community for Jesus Christ. Almost every time. We, we don't want to be an inward-focused church that turns a blind eye to a world around us that is going to hell without Jesus Christ. We don't want to be that church. One of our church's most pivotal moments happened in the early 1900s. Cedar Home was started by a group of Swedish immigrants who brought their language with them here, who brought their traditions with them here from Sweden. And we were a Swedish Baptist church. That was the name of the church. And what were those first Cedar Home church members familiar with? Swedish stuff, okay? All things Swedish. Um, Swedish people, Swedish food, Swedish architecture, the Swedish language, okay? So kind of a blurry picture, but this is one of the earliest pictures we have of our church from the, the early 1900s. Now, at that time, Cedar Home uh, church services were spoken entirely in Swedish. So only Swedish people could participate in the life of the church. Only Swedish people could hear the gospel and understand the gospel of Jesus Christ. So Cedar Home eventually came to a fork in the road, and they had to ask, what kind of church do we want to be, you guys? Do we want to stay comfortable as just a Swedish church with just our Swedish friends, or does God's word call us to be something different? Do we want to be a church that speaks the language of the people in our community? Do we want to change the language of our sermons, to change the language of our music so that non-Swedish people can hear the gospel and join our church family. And as I was thinking about that, I would have, I would have loved to have been a fly on the wall. Although I probably wouldn't have understood anything they said because I was Swedish, but I could have used some help with the translator. Um, but I imagine there were some people who were excited about it and they were like, you guys, let's do this. Let's change the language. Let's, let's go reach this community. And I imagine that there were also some people who didn't want to change. And in fact, they probably felt that it actually would have been a betrayal of their Swedish heritage if they did change. Man, but praise God that Cedar Home decided to switch services into the English language, and they began to preach the gospel in the language of the surrounding community. And that church began to 
this church began to reach out to people many different backgrounds. And it's because of that decision, you guys, that you are sitting here today and that I am sitting here today because of that decision. I don't speak Swedish. Okay. I don't think I have any Swedish blood in me. I think I'm Scotch Irish. Okay. But, but I, I'm so thankful here at Cedar home. That's a non issue. Okay. No matter what our ethnicity is, we're one family in Jesus period. Okay. And I'm thankful that Cedar home made the decision to choose to reach out to people like me and to people like you. Another pivotal moment in our church history was uh, around 1922 when the church decided to move the location of our church building. Uh, Originally, the church building wasn't in Stanwood. It was located uh, over north of 300th on the other side of the freeway. And honestly, the church family was pretty comfortable there. Uh, at the time, most people in Stanwood were staunch Lutherans, and there was not much love for Baptists. I mean, that's reality. And so, essentially, the Baptists stayed out of town. And that's what we did. But around 1922, a member of the church who owned this land that we are on knew that Stanwood was where the people were, and Stanwood was where the lost were. And Stanwood was where we need to go to reach the people with the gospel. And so that man gave his property to the church so that Cedar Home might move into the community and might live among non-Christians in order to, to reach them for Jesus. And I imagine that that move was not a comfortable move. Thinking back, that was a, that was a major move. Um, but it was a God-honoring move. Because the church again chose to put the advancement of God's kingdom ahead of its own comfort. And I I wish I had time to tell you many other stories. And we're going to hear more on Wednesday night, actually. But if you read our church history book that Charlotte Faust put together, in which Julie could point you to, our, our church secretary could point you to that, what you'll see is a consistent track record of Cedar Home making decisions which required great faith and great self-sacrifice in order to reach the community around us for Jesus Christ. It was Cedar Home's heart for the lost that first attracted me to this church nine years ago. When I was was candidating for the youth uh, director position, I saw Cedar Home's heart for new people and heart for the lost in a couple of ways. First of all, um, I saw that Cedar Home was in the process of preparing for a major construction project, which would be a multi-use building for the church family and also for outreach to the community. And that excited me. And I thought, this is a church I want to be part of. This is a church with a heart heart for the lost and a vision. And the second way I experienced Cedar Home's heart for outreach was, was this, was through the old timers of Cedar Home. Okay. The people who had been here the longest, who had probably the most reason to say, well, I've been here and you're new. They were the ones who I saw had the greatest heart to reach out to new people. And that spoke to me. It really did. People like Mike Pierce and Julie Pierce and Sam Eaton and Peggy Layton and Betty Libby and Elaine Florence and many other old timers were eager to welcome new people. Like, we want the kingdom to grow, 
and we're glad you're here. And that spoke to me because it told me this doesn't want to be a dying church. Guys, many churches are not like that. And maybe you've visited those churches. Many churches grow so inward focused, so self-focused, so greedy and selfish that they become stuck in their ways and they don't even want to reach the lost if that means they have to change. They would never say that, but that's reality. They say we want outreach, but when people show up, how do they treat them? When their neighbors show up, how do they treat them? You guys, do you know what happens to inward-focused churches? They die. They die. Do you know our country, 3,500 churches die every year. In America, Christian churches. That's 10 churches a day close their doors. Christian churches in our country. And so here we are, you guys, on Sunday, October 25th, 2015. And we are at a pivotal point now in our history at Cedar Home. We're at the fork in the road, and it's our opportunity to ask, what kind of church do we want to be? Which direction are we going to go? And in the next few weeks, we're going to make at least three significant changes here. First of all, we're going to combine two church services into one service And for the first time in many years, I don't know how many years it's been, as long as I've been here, but for the first time in many years, we're going to be able to worship the Lord again together as one family. And this is what's going to happen. If, 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 well, I'm not God, but I think if God willing, we make it to next Sunday. (laughs) (laughs) If he lets us breathe that long. On Sunday morning, you're going to walk into that worship service and there are going to be a lot of people you don't know. That's what's going to happen. I'm, I'm preparing you now. Unless you've made an intentional effort to attend both services, there's going to be a lot of people you don't know. Because there are this many people at second service too. Okay? So you might feel out of place next week a little bit. You might wonder, who are all these people around me? But whether you've known it or not, those people are your brothers and sisters in Christ, and they've been worshiping here too, okay? The second transition we're gonna make is to move into a new worship space. And it is a worship space that is beautiful, and it is very different from this chapel, and it's very different from anything our church has ever known before, okay? It's a very big space, It's intended to be a multi-use space, which means that it doesn't feel like a chapel, and it's a space that is still in progress, okay? The floors are going to be concrete for a while. You need to know that. There's an echo in the room, and it's going to take some time for us to figure out how to make that right. And, And the worship space is beautiful, but it's not perfect, okay? So please just know that ahead of time, um, don't complain and grumble about what you don't like about it. Instead, this is what I want you to do. I want you to walk in there and imagine the potential that this space has for the future of Cedar Home, for glorifying God and reaching the lost in our community Amen. in ways that we never have before. Okay, that's what I want you to see. 
And the third transition we're going to walk through will be a potential influx of guests over the next few months. Okay. Some will be one-time guests who, who probably just want to see the building and other people, and we want to greet them well. And other people will be looking for a church home. I've already talked to several people who plan to attend starting in November at Cedar Home. And this is my question for us. When those guests pull into our parking lot, what kind of church family will we be to them? Will we welcome them with, with open arms? Is that going to be the welcome they get? Will we go out of our way to talk to people we don't know, even though it's hard? I get it. It's hard. Will we show, after we find out where we're going, will we show new people around? Say, here's the nursery if you need that. Here's, here's the, the restroom in the back. Will we actually care about people and about their spiritual journey? Will we be the one who says, you know, if you ever want to go grab a cup of coffee, I'd love to get to know you better. Will we be the one who says, I would love to tell you about our church over um, lunch. If, if you guys want to come over to my house, I'd love to feed you lunch after church. Will, will you be the one to do that? Or will we do the opposite? Will we turn the other way when we see new people because it's hard? Or because, well, I'm the one who put all the money into this building and they didn't put the money into this building. This is my turf. Who are all these people coming into our building? Is that the attitude we're going to have? What kind of church do we want to be? Do we want to reach our community for Jesus like Cedar Home has done time and time again in the past? Or has the entire building project been in vain? That's what's at stake here. I don't know about you, but I don't want to be part of a dying church. I don't. And I don't think we are. I think we're a healthy church. And that's the way we want to keep going. And you can't determine health by numbers, okay? Hear that real clearly. A healthy church is primarily identified by its heart. Does it love Jesus? Does it want to help people encounter Jesus? Does it love God's word? Do its members love one another? Does the church love self-sacrificially and generously or do its members bite and devour one another? Does the church desire to see lost and broken people redeemed and restored to Jesus Christ by the power of his gospel? That's the cedar home I want to be part of. <laughs> and that's why today, you guys, I'm stepping out of John for three weeks and I'm beginning a three-week sermon series about the mission of our church called Cedar Home, One Family, One Savior, One Mission. Okay? Okay. And that's also why this Wednesday we're having the vision night. If you can't be there, uh, talk to other people. Hear about it. Talk. We, we, it it's, it's important. It's, it's crucial that we at church, as a church understand why are we here? What do we value? We can't be every church. We cannot be every church in this community. We, we have to be Cedar Home. And what do we value? And how does our church work? And how do we want our church to work better in the future? And what is our mission? What's the goal? What's the point? What are we headed to? See, we gotta be 
rowing in the same direction or else it's going to be frustrating for all of us. If, we're, if you're rowing this way, you're rowing this way, I'm rowing this way. We're all just trying to make stuff happen, but we don't really know where we're going. That's frustrating. But if we all see the same vision and see the same mission, and if by God's grace, he shows us how you and I can be a part of getting to that vision, then it's going to be a joyful voyage. That's what we want. So in order to determine what kind of church we want to be, which direction we want to go in, we've got to go back and look at the map, which is the Bible. Okay? God already gave us our mission. And so today, what we're going to do is we're going to identify the mission he gave us. And next week, we're going to see how the earliest Christians pursued this mission together And the week after that, we're going to see how Paul coached the early church to stay strong together and to stay focused as they continued to pursue Jesus's mission for them. So today, let's identify the mission that Jesus gave us. Please open to Matthew 28, 16 to 20, if you have your Bible. This is called the Great Commission. And one... I'll tell you what, you think you've figured it out and mined this passage, there's more there than you know. I found out this, I've preached on in the past and just this week, I'm like, man, there's stuff in there I hadn't seen before. It's just so cool how God does that with his word. Let me tell you what's happening in this passage in Matthew 28. Jesus had already been crucified by the Romans, okay? He was declared dead by the Roman executioners. His family took him and and wrapped him in his body in heavy Middle Eastern burial garments. His body was placed in a tomb. That tomb was then closed and sealed by the Romans and then guarded by several Roman guards who were ordered to guard that tomb for several days and to make sure nobody broke out so that nobody could say that Jesus is, or broke in, so that nobody could say that Jesus actually rose from the dead, okay? Well, after three days in the tomb, Jesus rose. He rose from the dead like he said he would. He opened the tomb. The Roman guards fled And over the course of the next 40 days, Jesus appeared to people in public and in private. In groups of 1, 2, 11, and even 500 at a time. And he made sure that lots of people saw him, touched him, interacted with him. He ate with people. That they could see this is real. This is flesh and blood. He's he's alive And it was that very first generation of Christians that wrote the New Testament that we have today. They were the eyewitnesses, okay? This Bible wasn't written 200 years later. It was written by the ones who felt and touched Jesus, okay? Now, at the end of his post-resurrection days on earth, it was time for Jesus to ascend back into heaven. And so he gathered the disciples and he gave them a job to do. He gave them a mission. He gave his church a mission. And since you and I, those of us who trust in Jesus, are part of the very same church as those first Christians, then Jesus' mission for us is the exact same in 2015. 
me pray for us. Dear Lord Jesus, please help us with your word. Help us to stay focused during the rest of the message. Holy Spirit, open our hearts and minds to you, to the glory of your gospel, to the joy of being your sons and daughters. Fill us with your power and confidence as we look at this mission that you've given us to do. Set us on fire for you, Jesus, as individuals and as a church. We love you and pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, let's read Matthew 28, 16 to 20. Now, the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshiped him. But some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Amen. Okay, so the first part of our mission as Jesus' church is not actually something that Jesus commands in this passage, but it's something we see in this passage. The disciples went to the mountain that Jesus told them to go to, and verse 17 says that when they saw him, they worshiped him. As individuals and as a church family, we exist to worship and glorify God, okay? We exist to bring glory to God. And that means that success for us, success for you as a Christian, success for us as a church is when God is glorified through us. That's success. When God's glorified through us. Success for us is when God's name is exalted. When God is worshiped, when God is obeyed by us and by our church. That's how God is glorified. Success for us is when God is obeyed by the way that we talk about others and to others, by the way that we think about him and think about others, by the way that, that our hearts are oriented toward him and, and with compassion toward others as he's had compassion towards us. Cedar Home exists to glorify God. You guys, because the Lord is worthy of it. He is our creator. He's the one who made us. He's the one reason we're here. He, he is the one true God. He's our father. He is holy and perfect and loving. The Bible says he's greatly to be praised. He's the good judge over all creation. He is our savior who laid down his own life in order to save ours so that we could live with him forever. This is who God is and he deserves our worship. And man, it's our joyful duty and delight to worship Jesus. It's, it's, our, it's our delight to obey God now to bring him glory through that. Christians exist for the purpose of bringing glory to God. Cedar Home exists to bring glory to God, okay? Right. Now, how does Jesus command us, his church, to do that? 
How does he command us to bring him glory? Well, in verse 19, we read two words, make disciples. Now, I know you see the word go there, and go actually kind of goes with make disciples, but the main imperative or command in Greek in this sentence is make disciples, okay? Jesus commands his church, us, you, me, together, to make disciples. So what's a disciple? Let me throw out a big definition first. A disciple of Jesus is a person who has first been reconciled into relationship with God through new birth by trust in the gospel. Okay, let's start there. So a disciple is first somebody who's been brought back into friendship with God by being born again when they trust in the gospel. Okay, that, that's first how you become a disciple. And then it says, and a disciple is somebody who subsequently is learning how to love God and to love others in, in a growing love for God and for others. Okay. So a disciple is somebody who God has saved as they've trusted in the gospel and who is subsequently learning how to love and obey God and how to love others. That's what a disciple is. And these are the people that Jesus commands us to make. That's how the church, that's how we will glorify God by making disciples, making more disciples. And that's how this church will multiply God's glory throughout the earth, by making more disciples of Jesus. Okay. And then Jesus tells us three ways to go about doing this. Three ways to go about making disciples. By going by baptizing and by teaching. Okay, let's look at each of those components one at a time. First, we bring glory to God when we make disciples by going. Okay, not by staying put, but by going. Where does he tell us to go to find dis- potential disciples? All nations, right? That's where we go, to all nations. So essentially, Jesus is is telling us, go make disciples everywhere that you go and everywhere you're able to go. Okay, Go take the gospel to every people group around the globe, which when he said this, he was in the Middle East. Where are we at? The other side of the globe, right? Okay. And so we also want to go around the globe and we want to send teams to Panama and, 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 and all over the place, right? And at the same time, we want to take the gospel where we're at. We want to go to our family. We want to go to our neighbors. We want to go to our workplace, go to our sports team, go to our school, go to our neighbors at the retirement home. They need the gospel at the retirement home. I don't know if you've been there lately. Have you been to Josephine and walked around? People need hope. They need the hope of Jesus there. They need the gospel there. Take the gospel everywhere you go, and as you're doing that, love people like crazy. Okay? That's what we do. Now, since Jesus wants us to take the gospel to all places, then it also implies that Jesus wants to save people from all places. He's not just saying, well, go preach to them. Nothing's going to happen. No. He says, go preach them because I've got church. I've got my church there. 
I got people to save there. He wants to save people from all locations, all backgrounds, all races. And, and Jesus' church is composed of disciples from all backgrounds, people who are very different from you and me. And we want our local church, Cedar Home, to be an expression of that. Okay? Cedar Home doesn't belong to people of one ethnicity or to people of one language. Cedar Home doesn't belong to one social class. Cedar Home doesn't belong to whoever's lived here the longest. It doesn't even belong to citizens just of Stanwood. We have members of Cedar Home who live in Mount Vernon, who live in Arlington, who live on Camino Island, who live in Stanwood. None of us own this church, okay? Jesus owns this church. That's who the church belongs to. And by God's grace, you and I get to be part of it. <laughs> That's how it works. So you've got to ask yourself, do I want to be a disciple of Jesus? You've got to ask yourself that. Do I want to be a disciple of Jesus? And, and before you answer that, you need to know that the type of disciple that Jesus commands you to be is a disciple who makes more disciples. So do you want to pursue people and make more disciples of Jesus with your family here at Cedar Home? Will we as a church take the gospel of Jesus Christ with us everywhere we go because we want to see more disciples of Jesus? We want to see more people experience the life-changing joy and power of life with Jesus. We want to see God and his glory, uh, God's glory multiplied around this earth. Is that, is that what makes us run? Will we go to people? Not just our neighbors, but hear this. When you show up on Sundays, this is a mission field too, okay? Do not assume that the person next to you is saved. This is a mission field. And when you're here, you're, you're on mission. So when people come in, will we be on mission? Will we go to them? Will we love them? Will we get to know them personally? Will we celebrate new members at Cedar Home? Will we celebrate it when we see new leaders stepping up? Or will we be a dying church that says, well, that person hasn't been here more than five years. I'm not sure they're qualified to use their gifts at this church. <laughs> their church is like that. And going with the gospel and welcoming people with the gospel is hard. I get it. It's scary. It's uncomfortable. It means something might change. It means my relationships might change. My life might change. My church might change. But you guys, this is the mission God has given us. You and I are a vapor. We're here for a little bit. We won't even be remembered in 100 years. If you're lucky, you might have a tombstone and your name written down in a family book somewhere. We're a vapor. This isn't our church. We get to be part of it by God's grace, but it's, it's Jesus' church, and this is the mission he calls us to. On Friday, I, uh, I heard Ivan Van, or Veldheisen speak, who is in charge of all international missions for Converge Worldwide. He actually preached at our church last year, and he, or maybe two years ago, but he said something that really struck me because he interacts with more Christians around the globe and in America than probably anybody I know. But he said, 
People naturally default to the familiar. We often choose a familiar bondage instead of an unfamiliar freedom. Yeah, that I was like, wow. People naturally default to the familiar. We often choose a familiar bondage instead of an unfamiliar freedom. So he said that he sees too many churches who choose bondage to the past because they're comfortable with what's familiar to them instead of choosing freedom and new life simply because that's unfamiliar to them. What kind of church do we want to be, Cedar Home? Not pursuing new people and not making disciples because we are fearful of newness and we are fearful of the unknown is sinful, period. It's sinful to be that way. We reach out to others. We love others because Jesus reached out to us first, right? He reached out to you and me first. And so we're called to do the same for others. We want Cedar Home to be a going church in every sense of the word. You guys, we don't want, we don't want people to go to hell. It's real. We don't want people to stay in their brokenness. We want people to know Jesus and encounter Jesus. We've got the best news, the best power in us. We are the light of the world, Jesus says. And the world needs it. The world needs it. The next way that Jesus commands us to make disciples is by baptizing disciples in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. So when a person believes the gospel, that is, when a person believes that Jesus Christ is God, that he really is who he said he is, that he was born of a virgin, that he lived a life without sin, that he perfectly obeyed God's law, that he suffered and died on the cross as a substitute for sinners, that he rose from the dead, that he reigns in heaven right now at the right hand of God the Father, and that he's coming again to judge the living and the dead. When a person believes that and prays to Jesus, responds to Jesus in faith, then a person is saved by God forever. Okay. And as soon as that person proclaims an authentic faith in Jesus, then Jesus says he or she should be baptized. And some of you may have never been baptized. And, and there's probably, I know there's a lot of different reasons for that. But let me briefly tell you what baptism is and why Jesus commands it. Baptism is simply an ordinance that Jesus gave to us of immersing a Christian in water in the name of the Lord, blessing them in the name of the Lord. And so why does Jesus command it? Well, first, baptism is something you get to do to celebrate what Jesus has done for you. You get that? It's a celebration. When Jesus gave you faith to trust in him for eternal salvation, a miracle happened. He made you new. He made you born again, and he united you to himself. He hid you in him. And, and as you go down into the water, as you're baptized, that symbolizes that was my old life that died with Jesus on the cross. 
It's in the grave. It doesn't exist anymore. And then as you come back out of the water, that's, I've been raised with Jesus. This is my new life. I'm united to Jesus. I'm not the same anymore. I'm a new creation. The old is gone. The new has come. Yes. All Christians in the early church were baptized. Okay. Baptism was part of being welcomed into the covenant community of faith. The idea of an unbaptized Christian didn't exist in the early church. And that's not because they believe that baptism saved a person, but because baptisms normally happen very soon after a person saved, uh, was saved by Jesus. And if we've lost some of that in our culture, we make it more like, well, I'm saved by Jesus. And then whenever I feel like it, I'm going to be baptized. That, there's a huge disconnect. It's like, no, they go together. They go together. And if you're here today and if you've put your trust in Jesus, but you were never subsequently baptized, then please talk to me or one of the leaders about it because we want to celebrate that with you. And if you're a Christian, if you consider Cedar Home your church family, man, we, we, we want you to become a, a covenant member here. And, and please let us know on your connection card if you want to attend the membership class on November 15th just to learn more about what does it mean to be part of the family here at Cedar Home. And in addition to baptizing disciples, Jesus commands us to make disciples by teaching disciples to obey him. Okay? We teach Jesus' followers to obey everything he has commanded us. For the lost, for those who don't know Jesus, the thought of obeying God is the aroma of death. But for those who love Jesus and have experienced his grace and life and freedom and mercy, and who knows that he has the best in mind for you, then the idea of obeying him is life (laughs) and joy giving. And so we are called to help people Learn how to obey Jesus. How can you experience more freedom in Jesus? How can you experience more life in Jesus? How can you obey Jesus? How can you kill sin in your life for the glory of God? At Cedar Home, the three core environments in which we learn to obey Jesus together are through our worship services, community groups, and discipleship relationships. Okay? And I encourage you to join us on Wednesday to hear more about why we believe in these three environments. And in addition to these three core environments, members of the church organize specific ministries geared at specific people, right? Men's, women's, youth, children, young moms. And what those additional ministries look like vary through the years at a church according to the makeup and the needs of the church. But in all of these settings... Teaching and learning God's word is a key component, okay? Because as we learn God's word and as we claim the promises of God's word as, as, as ours because of what Jesus has done for us, as we seek to obey Jesus by obeying him, uh, by uh, obeying him to bring him glory, this is what happens. The Holy Spirit graciously gives us more grace, He transforms us into people who increasingly resemble Jesus Christ. Jesus said in John 17 that we are sanctified by his word. 
or sanctified by his word through the power of the Holy Spirit. So verses 16 to 20, Jesus commands his followers to bring glory to God by making disciples as we go, as we baptize, as we teach the whole counsel of God. Now, I don't know about you, but when I think about how radical this is, okay, it's a radical mission, you guys. How big this mission is, it can be overwhelming. It can feel that way. Jesus, you want us to go live among people who hate you, who, who don't love you, but you don't want us to become like them? Jesus, you want us to have conversations with strangers and with neighbors about how awesome you are? Jesus, you want us to pray radical prayers that the unlikeliest of people would turn to you? Who am I to do that? How am I qualified to do that? I didn't go to seminary. I'm, I'm, I'm not a qualified person to do that. Well, Jesus knew we would feel that way. He knew that in our flesh, we would have that resistance in this, to this mission. He knew that Satan would love to throw out all those thoughts to us too, okay? To make us think we really can't do it. And so what he did is he gave us two promises in this passage that serve as bookends on either side of the mission. He promises us his authority and he promises us his presence. So first in verse 18, Jesus says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Okay. The reason that we can boldly and lovingly approach people in the hope that they will become a disciple of Jesus is because Jesus has all authority over them. That's the reason, okay? Jesus has all authority over us. He has given us this authority to go make disciples on his behalf. See that? The authority doesn't just stay with church, with Jesus. He, he gives it to the church. Every person on planet earth belongs to Jesus. And so we don't look to our own authority, to our own qualifications to make disciples, we look to the supreme authority, the supreme qualifications of Jesus Christ who can make disciples out of anybody, okay? And not only does Jesus tell us he's supremely powerful and authorized to make disciples, and he's authorizing us to do that with his authority, but also he promises he will always be with us to give us his authority. At the end of verse 19, Jesus says, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Man, if Jesus weren't on this mission with us, I don't know if I want to go. <laughs> I mean, I'd be, be hopeless, powerless on my own. But Jesus promises he's always with us forever. This is why. Because this mission to seek, to save, to restore lost people is his mission. This is his idea. This is what he wants to see done. And this is what he will see done. Okay, he's God. And he plans to grow you and me as his disciples while at the same time as he's growing us, sending us out. He doesn't grow us and say, okay, you went through step five, you're ready. Go, go make disciples. No. Did you see that video? It said that 47 days after that guy was baptized, he started our denomination. That's incredible. That's what Jesus does. He, he's growing us as disciples and he's sending us out at the same time. This is the greatest mission ever, you guys. 
Our world, our universe has never known anything like it, period. And that stake is nothing less than the glory of God himself and the eternal souls of billions of people made in the image of God who are broken and who will go to hell without him unless they hear about him and trust in him. Jesus' mission is our mission at Cedar Home. We want to link arms with other churches who believe in the same mission. And as enormous as this mission is, God will advance this mission through you and through me one step at a time. So for you personally, it happens through reading the Bible one day at a time, one prayer at a time, one victory over sin at a time, one time when you say, oh, I shouldn't say that. I shouldn't, I shouldn't be in on this conversation. That glorifies God. One cup of coffee at a time with another Christian. One conversation at a time with your neighbor. Let them know you love them, serving them. Tell them a testimony about what Jesus has done in your life. One act of love at a time. That's how this mission happens. And as part of Jesus' universal church, we at Cedar Home, get this, are, are together upheld by the full authority of God to go make disciples. <laughs> That's awesome. This is the direction we want to go as a church. Because this is the direction God has already told us to go in his word. And so may God use that new building, may he use our ministries, may he use our friendships, our homes, may he use your redeemed life to make as many disciples as quickly as possible for the glory of his name and for the eternal joy of all peoples. Let's pray. Dear Jesus, thank you for this time. Thank you that we can worship you and hear from your word. God, this is... Oh, it's, there is purpose to our lives. There's purpose to our lives here on earth. We're not here, God, just, just to exist for a while. You've got us here for a reason, God, and we want to go make disciples individually and as a corporate church. Please, Lord, in the next months and year, show us how we can be part of that through this family at Cedar Home. As we move into the new building, Lord, would you please just have your hand on that space? Would your spirit fill that place, Lord? Would it be a sweet place of fellowship that glorifies you, where you're worshiped well, where the lost are welcomed as you've welcomed us, Lord Jesus? Please rest in us today in a powerful way. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.